Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hey there, before we dive in, I wanted to give a content warning. We will be discussing self-harm briefly about halfway through the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Sex Ed Rewind. I'm so excited to welcome our very first ever guest, Miss Stephanie McCoy, a very good friend of mine. A little bit of a background on Steph. She has a master's degree from NYU in global affairs with a specialization in international development and humanitarian assistance. She served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Namibia, working at the grassroots level to help increase business business and economic opportunities, strengthen infrastructure, and improve financial security for Namibians. In her home state of California, she worked on a statewide ballot measure, Proposition 15, looking to increase funding for public schools, community colleges, and local government services. Currently, she serves as the Executive Director for the Peace Project, Inc., an organization that seeks to empower youth through peace and education. Welcome, Steph. Thank you for that introduction. That was very well said. (laughs) I couldn't be more excited to have you. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good. Yesterday was the first day of fall, so I got some fall decorations and decorated. It's been so nice. It was like cinnamon in the house, but today's a good day. (laughs) Epic. I saw the gourds on your Instagram and they're amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. So we're going to get right into our combos on how we learn about sex. So we want to start off the show with a little background to take our listeners into the mind and life of a young Steph. So we're going to hit you with some intro questions. Share with us when you were a cool high school kid, what was your favorite band, favorite fashion trend, and favorite slang word? Man, okay. Favorite band, definitely Destiny's Child. I had an obsession for Kelly Rowland, of all people. I mean, iconic. (laughs) Um, But I had their posters everywhere on my wall. I seen them during the summertime in concerts. It was what I lived for. Um, What was the other question? You said Next question, fave fashion trend. Favorite fashion trend. I love to bleach my hair blonde. (laughs) So (laughs) I used to, there was this gel that you could use and I put it on my hair. I put in a ponytail and I was able to bleach my hair completely blonde through gel. It was like the best thing ever. I did not know that. I knew young Steph was a rebel, but I didn't know she was a blonde rebel. (laughs) Yeah, I was blonde with an afro. (laughs) That's freaking epic. Okay, last but certainly not least, favorite slang word. Oh, slang word. It was low-key. Everything was low-key. <laughs> you had to keep everything on the hush hush in high school. So it was, if you wanted to tell a gossip story, you had to say it. But with low-key, though, she did X, Y, and Z, or mm-hmm, he did X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. The coolest kids were using low-key, for sure. <laughs> okay, now that we know what a young, blonde, low-key Steph was up to in high school, help us set the scene. Where did you go to high school? What city, state, or town? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I went to high school four different places. <laughs> so I, my first high school was in John Burroughs High School in Burbank. And the second high school was in Van Nuys, California. It's called Birmingham High School. And then I went to military school for a couple of years. And that was really interesting. And it was very religious. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's really so, sent rebel staff. <laughs> exactly. They were like, you know what? These two high schools not working out. Military religious school is where it's at. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Okay. And what decade did you go to high school? 
2004 to 2008. Yeah. Great. And you kind of touched on it already, public, private, religious. So a little bit of everything with you. Yeah. Public school. I did public school for a little bit and I didn't really care for it. We went to public schools in Los Angeles, which were really underfunded and undeserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the private school I really liked, which was the military school, although it was very much like in a sense of boarding school and very militant. Um, I learned a lot of really great values. We didn't learn about sex ed though, mm. um, but it was very, very religious. We had chapel for two hours a day, which was, shoot me now. That's a lot of hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that we have the scene set, we're going to get into some of our questions about what your sex education experience was like in your many high schools. So first and foremost, did you receive any sex ed? Yeah. I remember in Burbank, we started in middle school for sex ed. So I was in eighth grade. Yeah. I remember that. I was in eighth grade. They put us all in an auditorium, all the eighth grade classes. And we learned about abstinence and fear-based non-sexual practices. And so we would go into the auditorium. They would teach us about um, how you shouldn't have sex and why you shouldn't have sex. And then they would get these gruesome pictures of STDs and like syphilis and gonorrhea. And it was all fear. And this is why you shouldn't do it. And so I remember leaving the auditorium. It was um, once a month for the entire semester we'd do this. Whoa. Yeah. And then in the classrooms, they would reinforce what we learned. So that was once a week. And so it was just this entirety of don't have sex because if you have sex and you have a teenage pregnancy, that was the fear too, you're going to go to continuation school. So it was almost like a death sentence to have sex at school. Um, Wow. And that was middle school. It was middle school. That was middle school. So impressionable. Yeah, it was so impressionable. I remember they bring out those TV monitors, you know, with the Mm -hmm. seatbelt attached to them. They roll Mm -hmm. in there. Push it on in. Push it on in there. And they put on that screen. It's just like fear for an entire hour. It's like you leave and like, I don't ever want to do this. (laughs) Okay, that's awful. So you mentioned feeling fear, which is obviously like what they intended around that. But do you remember any other emotions that you had, like learning about sex in that way um, as a middle schooler? Yeah, I, I don't think I was a very like woke middle schooler, um, but I do remember hearing that my friends were having sex. And so I, I kept thinking like, when are they going to teach us about contraceptives? When are they going to teach us about things, how we stay safe if we're doing it? Because there was no, if you're doing it, this is what you should do. It was just, don't do it. No one should be doing it. And if you are, shame on you kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I remember feeling shame for my friends. <laughs> I remember feeling unsafe that if I was in the situation, how would I enjoy it and how would I protect myself? Yeah, yeah. that's so – I'm so happy that you brought up shame because I feel like fear-based abstinence-only sex education is literally designed to just create shame. And, like, that can be so paralyzing, especially for a young person. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about your friends having sex and talking about it. Um, Did you guys ever talk about like where they learned about sex? Because if you weren't really getting any like quality info from school, where where was everyone getting it from? We were learning it right in the corridors of our friendship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it it could be, let's say I make up a friend's name, Jesse. Mm -hmm. Jesse's like, hey, I'm having sex with Sean. And it was like, oh, well, how do you guys do that? You know, actually, we just figured it out. And it's them to figure it out. And then based on their experience, I now have some knowledge on how that works out. And then we'll talk about how she felt and if it felt good. And if, did you feel any burning? Or maybe it's this. And if it was anything that was um, negative, we would associate it with what we learned. 
And so, oh, you know, they said if you're burning that you might have an STD, Mm -hmm. let's go get that checked out, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, if you have an STD, you're a bad person. You're shamed for life and you have your scarred. Scarred. Oh my God. So damaging. Yeah. That's awesome though, that you had a group of friends that you could like engage in that dialogue with. And did you feel like you could turn to them like in moments of confusion or if you didn't know, or, or you did mention experiencing some shame. So like, what was that like? Walk me through that. Yeah. I think I didn't feel as comfortable turning to them because my circumstance was a little different as far as like, um, my intersecting identities. Um, so I was queer. I, I didn't really call it then at the time. I think maybe closer to was gay, but I only told myself that. And I don't think I accepted that yet to feel comfortable enough to talk to them about having sex with the same sex, you know, let alone we didn't have enough information just as heterosexual human beings, you know. So I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't have actually anyone mm-hmm. to turn to to talk to about how do you have sex with women? Do women have sex together? And if we do do it, what about what are our risks, you know? And is there information on how we can have orgasms? Like, I was just so confused. So I just remember not talking about it and not doing it. Absolutely. I mean, we're totally going to talk about more intersecting identities down the line, but <laughs> it coming up so soon in the conversation is so telling about how much your intersecting identities impact your sex education experience, you know? So tell me more about um, this sex education in school. So that all was middle school, which is like, I feel like a lot of people, their middle school sex ed is usually like puberty stuff. So the fact Mm -hmm. that you were getting that in middle school, like could be great if they were doing it right, but obviously they were doing it (laughs) super wrong. So did you get anything more in high school or in your different high schools? Like what did it look like as you got older? As you got older, that's a great question. As I got older, and as I was um, more immersed into quote, quote, California sex education, it becomes more scarier. (laughs) It just was like the tactics for frightening, for abstinence became greater because our knowledge base and we were older. So mm-hmm. at the maturity level, they're like, okay, they can take now these more um, very graphic photos. They can take more of these graphic words and language, but it just got worse. And um, I just never keep feeling scared. I didn't have sex until I was 16, but I remember, no, it, it just got worse. And I mm-hmm. remember my first time having sex and not knowing uh, how to do to protect myself. Because even in high school, we didn't learn about contraceptives, condoms, uh, birth control. There was no talk of it because they wanted to program you that having sex is bad. Mm. But I remember my first sexual encounter after I had sex, I immediately went to Planned Parenthood. And I didn't know anything about Planned Parenthood until my sister's friends who were older, they were going, they all used to go together. My sister's friends group were so great, but it was like four or five of them. They would just go all together at one time. And my sister was like, hey, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, what's this place? And I had no idea what it was. Oh, we love them. <laughs> and we go in there and everyone's getting tests and swabs. And it's just like a, like a uh, what do you call it? A testing party or like a yeah. sexual reproductive party. Yeah, like a love yourself party. Yeah, they're like, oh, free condom. They're just, it's like a party for them. I'm just like, what is this? Um, but I remember asking more detailed questions to like the health professional was helping me out. And I never felt uncomfortable or ashamed or scared. That was my first time feeling like, oh, I think I'm an adult. I think having sex is normal and this is okay. You know? Oh my God. So. That's so amazing. And I love that Planned Parenthood was able to come in and fill that role that no one else in your life was able to fill yet. Like not any of your many high schools, not your middle school, just kind of coming in for the win to be like, hey, hey, little Steph, you can yeah. do this safely and feel good about yourself. Yeah. 
And I wasn't even at of age. I wasn't 18 yet. And they were still helping me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned your sister and her friends. Were they um, helpful? I mean, obviously they brought you to Planned Parenthood, which is super helpful. Mm-hmm. But would you say that they were um, a big source of info for you growing up learning about sex? Definitely. I never directly asked them, but just hanging around my sister and ear hustling, I would learn all the different things because they were much more advanced than what I was doing in my first base mm-hmm. <laughs> situations, you know. You were keeping um, it low key. I was keeping it low key. <laughs> um, no, I would learn through them because they they all had sexual partners or they had boyfriends. And so through their stories and them sharing just to keep everyone in the loop, I was like, okay, that's what you do. Okay, so if I do do oral sex, this is how it's supposed to feel. Okay, so don't do this. You know, it was just all the different tactics on how to have sex. Mm-hmm. And I learned through a friend group, not family's household. We were pretty religious, so talking about sex was kind of like forbidden. And it was a very uncomfortable. So we just didn't talk about it because they believe in abstinence only as well. So mm-hmm. it was just like, if the school's teaching abstinence, great, because that's what we're teaching you here in the Bible too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. Growing up in a religious household, I'm sure shaped a lot of how you think about sex. Do you have any memories of hearing your parents or people in your household talk about sex in a way that was um really informative for you? It doesn't necessarily have to be good, but do you think that, you know, it colored the way that you think about sex? The non-talking about it made me feel like it was something I shouldn't do. Mm. Usually we would talk about everything um, that they wanted us to do in our lives and whether it was sports or grades or anything, it was a fluid conversation. So when that wasn't even a topic or even a seed to be planted, I was like, okay, this is obviously something that I probably shouldn't be doing because it feels uncomfortable even just thinking about it, you know? And so, no, we never ventured to that. But I do remember, I think I was 19 and I think my mom, I was still living at home. My mom could tell that I was just developing and I had this way about me. She, I think she realized that I was having sex. Steph mm-hmm. <laughs> <Stuff> was glowing. <laughs> right. Steph's <laughs> glowing. She's got a booty. She's walking like she knows where she's going. <laughs> she came in the room. She sat next to me. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to happen now? <laughs> the ripe age of 19, a little late. <laughs> right. And she's like, so I want to talk to you about the birds and the bees. And I remember I, was, I started laughing so hard. And I was, mom, you got to be kidding me. I'm 19. You think I'm not having sex yet? <laughs> she goes, no, I know you are. I can tell you are. That's why I want to have this conversation. I was like, mom, I know how sex happens, and I know I should protect myself. I was like, and I go to Planned Parenthood with Eric and her friends. And then she said, great. Good to know you're staying safe. And she walked oh, out. Oh, she's like, I'm done. <laughs> she was like, that's all I wanted to know. Good. Thank Glad you're protecting yourself. God for Planned Parenthood <laughs> to do everything that nobody else is doing. <laughs> Seriously, but that was the, that was our sex conversation. She went. I think she just wanted to know I was having sex and if I was staying safe, and that I wasn't pregnant. <laughs> it was like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's so spot on what you said about not talking about sex, sending mm-hmm. a very specific message that sex is something that you don't talk about. Period. And you even said, as a family, you know, everything was fluid. We talked about everything, but we didn't talk about sex. And I feel like sometimes we forget that not talking about it is also sending us very clear messaging about sex. And that messaging is zip the lip. We don't talk about this. Yeah. We don't talk about it because we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Right. Right. And, you know, looking particularly at your experience, that's really the message you were getting from everywhere from middle school, fear-based don't do it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to teach you how to be safe and do it. We're going to teach you how not to do it. Same thing in high school. Same thing at home. Really, the only place that you could get other messaging was literally Planned Parenthood is what it sounds like. Yep. Planned Parenthood is 
one of the great resources I've had. So curious more about this horrific uh, high school sex education experience. Who was teaching it? Do you remember? Was it a qualified sex educator? (laughs) So I remember this is very vivid, vivid memory too. I don't even say the school. Luther Burbank Middle School. Loved it to death, but your sex education was terrible. OMG. Someone let them know. Send a letter. (laughs) I remember the principal, Mrs. Ramsey. She came and she did an introduction about sex education. And then there's like three individuals and they were an external organization. And she introduced them and said they'll be talking to us for the next hour and a half about sex education. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just remember thinking like, this is not education. I didn't have the words to formulate what I was being taught, but my mind was telling me, this is not education. This is a fear tactic. I don't feel good leaving this classroom, you know? Mm. And I felt education should always make the person feel good and inspired when you leave. That's true education. And I thought this was like some brainwashing fear tactic to some bigger idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was taught by an external organization. And then they would give our teachers, you know, because I said we would have once a week kind of reinforcement, they would give our teachers pamphlets and workbooks <laughs> and a video. And the teacher would kind of hand those out and read to us the instructions on what to do. We didn't have trained uh, faculty on how to teach sex education, unfortunately. It's so interesting that even as a young person, and I think it's so important that you brought up not having the language at the time to talk about what was happening. Um, but still, you knew, you could tell, you could sniff it out that this was wrong. Yeah. You were like, this is not how education is supposed to go. Like, yeah. I shouldn't yeah. be so scared. Um, I think that's a really powerful feeling that young people remember. Yeah, I think fear, I think it's a great point. An emotional memory can trigger a lot of experience that you have with that memory. And so because fear was my first introduction to mm-hmm. understanding what sex was and even how to do it or not to do it, I always had fear around that. And I remember like once I started to have sex, it was very uncomfortable because I felt shame that I was having sex. It was like, okay, I'm 16. Am I supposed to be mm-hmm. doing this? Am I going to be sinned now because I feel good if I feel pleasure? You know, if there's too much pleasure in this, what does that mean for me? You know? Mm-hmm. It was so much shame. I had so much shame as a sexual being, which is so crazy mm-hmm. to think about now. That's such a radical idea. It's like, how is that so radical to be a sexual being when that's exactly who we are? Such a good point. And so lucky that we have like been able to come out of that and have been given the language to talk about it, you know? Yeah. So school, you were getting info about sex, even though it was bad. You were getting info from your friends, from your sister and her friends, not really much info at home. Did you go anywhere else for your information on sex? Like, did you ever go to the internet or the library? Like, what what other resources did you turn to? Yeah, so I remember I, I went to the internet and there was nothing on LGBTQ sex mm. <laughs> in 2004. Yikes. It was one of those moments like, Okay, now I have the answer because there's no answer that I can be doing this. So I was like, well, let me just X off having sex with women off my thing because I clearly shouldn't be doing this because there's no information. So powerful. Like, whoa, representation matters. Yeah, yes. And then I remember uh, I got my information how to have sex with men, not how to, but just kind of how to stay safe 
and the correct way of doing it through my Planned Parenthood professionals that I talked to, they were literally gold to me because they'd be like, are you feeling any discomfort? If you are, it's okay, just let us know. And it was like that, it's okay, just let us know was like an open door to, yeah, actually, I have a lot of burning sensation. Like, oh, that's just a UTI, no problem. Everyone gets some. I'm just like, okay, great. Like they made you feel like it is okay. This is part of the process. You are having sex now, you know? Mm-hmm. But I had no other source of information besides getting X out on the internet and then just through Planned Parenthood. I remember going there often to Planned Parenthood, like just for questions. I'd walk in and make, you wouldn't have to make an appointment. you just go in there and sign up and I would just have questions. And she'd be like, I'm here to answer any questions you have. And she would have a smile on. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, this is so good. Yeah. And I feel like what's so palpable from you telling that story, these stories about Planned Parenthood is that like the one thing that they really did above all else was take your shame away by saying like, tell us, ask us, like, let us know we're open. And like that literally creates opportunities for people to speak up and say, actually, I have a zillion and one questions. Help. Yes. There's so many shame around asking questions and the questions you think are most shameful. You don't even ask. So you never receive an answer Mm -hmm. for it. And so you're forever lost of what that means. You know, I think there's so much shame around sex and there's no need to be. And then people still to this day, I'm still washing off the past brainwashing and and past um, conditioning of what it means to have sex and what it means to be a sexual being still shedding those layers, you know? So I think it's very important where we get our information from and how it's presented to us. And if it's a fear-based tactic as it was back in the early 2000s, I would love to talk to other people who were taught the same way I was, you know, and say, hey, do you still have reminiscences of this past horrible traumatic experience? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tune into future episodes of Sex Ed Rewind because (laughs) we will get into it with many other people. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So... We talked a little bit about in school. We talked about out of school. Can you tell us about your intersecting identities first? Sure. I am a Black Latinx woman who's queer. And most recently, I've been um, in the genderqueer spectrum. That's an interesting gender component to my identity as well that I'm exploring and happily exploring. It's interesting because even in the health field, as a Black woman, there's so many disparities, you know? And there's also even more disparities, LGBTQ individuals, not even just women or however you identify. There's so many disparities of what the healthcare provided for us. So that combination of black disparities and LGBTQ disparities in America is like a double hit, you know? So it's like to turn to reliable, viable information is really, really hard to trust that you're getting the best care possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those with us. So now we can all contextualize the conversation. So next big question, and you already touched on your um, LGBTQ plus identity um, not being represented, but can you just talk to us about which of your identities were represented, if any, in the sex education that you received? I guess my woman identity is more so because of our cis female parts, Um, but that's about it. I don't remember anything as far as like uh, race related or culturally related to sex education, but I do remember there was a huge prejudice to same sex sex or same sex relationships. They didn't teach us about it and it was never in any written material, mm-hmm. but it was talked about amongst my social groups and, and um, in class sometimes, but it was a prejudice and a shame. It was kind of like, yeah, there's, and there's that. It's another, it's shameful. We don't talk about it. So let's move on. It was one of those. And so I remember I didn't self-identify yet as gay or queer, but I knew that I had attraction to women. 
And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I'll just write that off. And it was like a continuation of, I'll just keep writing that off because clearly I shouldn't be doing it, you know? Yeah. And by, by treating it as that like other sphere, like this is sex education and there's like this other thing, like this other type of person, but we're not going to talk about it. Anyone that, that might've identified as that was just like, oh, well, surely that can't be me. If this is going to be an other, then I'm just going to have no part of it. Yeah, exactly. No one wanted to be an other. Everyone wanted to be in the in crowd and everyone wanted to be normal, <laughs> whatever normal was in right. high school. Which you was know? That's normal in high school is not good. Not- <laughs> Exactly. I just remember I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be as normal as possible. And Mm -hmm. being black already kind of put me in somewhat of an other category. And then also to be gay was like, I don't want to be too far on the spectrum of others. So this is my, my comfortable other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you had your brief look into the internet world, you didn't really find any LGBTQ plus stuff that was intriguing to you. How did you feel about the way your gender and your race was represented? Do you remember feeling anything about that? You know, I don't think I was aware enough back then, Mm -hmm. but I did know that, you know, being black was different. I'll try to act less black and be more white. Like it was, to me, that was just normal because every other black person was doing that. You know, we had to tone it down just a little bit so we can fit in a little bit more. But I remember that. It literally made you write off an entire part of yourself. Yeah. I remember, oh man, I remember crying a lot of nights. I remember I went through a really depressive phase that I didn't know what was happening until like literally maybe last year or two years when I reflected on my life. It was like, oh, that's why I was so depressed. Like even, this is very explicit information, but I feel like hopefully this will inspire someone who's listening. I used to be a really big cutter back in high school and I used to cut my wrists. Um, but I didn't, I never could pinpoint it to one specific thing that made me feel like I wanted to inflict pain on myself. But looking back, it was during the times that I was learning about myself and discovering my sexual identities and discovering um, what I was attracted to. And I just remember feeling so much shame during that time that I myself wasn't good enough and I wasn't in the terms represented enough. I don't know what I used then, but I didn't fit in. And I remember being in high school and going to the bathroom at lunchtime and a cut. And I was a basketball player too. So I'd have this sweatband that I wore and I would just cover up with that. But I remember being really depressed and I was put on some pills, but I never could realize what was wrong. And my mom would put me in counseling. We never could pinpoint it. But looking back, I remember last year, I was like, that's, I was going through that change in high school. I would say puberty, I guess, but there were so many blockage of pathways that I could have gone that were not my pathway and that were blocked for me. So it was like me trying to conform to this way of life that didn't work for me. And I felt stuck in boxing. I think that's what that was. I went through extreme depression because I didn't feel um, represented. I didn't feel like I could live in a society where all of me could be represented or, you know, presented. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Steph. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I mean, not seeing yourself or worse, seeing yourself and having that be othered is such a, Mm. I think, common experience among LGBTQ folks who grew up in the States because unfortunately we have this really broken system. So thank you for sharing that. Very brave. So I feel like we've really dug into the high school part of young Steph. I'd love to bring it forward to today a little bit and talk about the life beyond fear-based sex ed. (laughs) So how do you think your sex education journey as a young person has impacted your relationship to sex today? Mm, Well, first, I'm going to start from like current and then I'll probably keep referencing back. Love it. I'm a very sexual being now. I love sex. I've gotten to a place where I have able to like 
in a sense, break the shackles off and just live fully to what I desire and what my body's telling me that it wants and needs. Because we do need, you know, sexual activity. It's part of the human cycle. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, but I remember when I first started with my kind of first serious relationship where we were living together and I had a very hard time to have, having sex. Very hard time. And I would think I needed counseling to talk about sex. But I remember I was just feeling like, well, one, maybe I'm not that attracted to you. And two, maybe I'm working through some things and that's okay, you know. But I remember coming down to it that my first kind of like real relationship was with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were living together and I, there was this internal shame that I kept carrying with me that blocked me from having sexual desires because I carried it with me so long. But I remember that took a really big toil into my relationship when I was dating my first woman. The shame, now that I'm talking about it, came from... The religious aspect as like indoctrination, <laughs> indoctrination shame. That's what we're going to call it. That's exactly not what it is. Not low key at all. I'd like to point out <laughs> that was high key, was full on high key. <laughs> um, but I remember I got over that and realized, you know, I just don't like having sex with men that much. Okay, cool. Like that's what that is. You know, as I grew into my womanhood and adulthood, I had to keep shedding that internal shame that I viewed myself. I shamed myself, which was like the worst shame you can do, is you shame yourself based on the wrong programming information that was taught to you. Oh, that was the worst feeling ever. And even till this day, there's things that are still shedding for me, you know, just as, you know, being in a queer relationship with another queer Black woman. It's two Black queer women in Los Angeles, you know, like we live in a completely Black community, but sometimes walking down our own block holding hands it's shameful, you know, and, and we just have to keep holding hands and keep walking through it because mm-hmm. uh, just us being too black on who we are can be seen in our own community as shame. So that sometimes can block uh, sexual desires sometimes because not that you're intentionally doing it, but subconsciously because you're now trying to fight off all the different programming because the situation may have arose you're in that space for a little bit. And so being that space doesn't allow you to sometimes pull through, but yeah. And so I'm interested to ask, being that you were so unrepresented in your LGBTQ identity as a young person, do you remember when that kind of turned around for you? Like when you kind of felt comfortable exploring that part of yourself and what triggered that? Like how did we get from this really fear-based toxic environment to like this wonderful liberated woman, questioning woman Mm -hmm. that you are now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. It was actually most recently at NYU who went to school. Um, but right before that, I was in Peace Corps and it was Camp Glow that I led girls and guys leading our world. And we were teaching about gender and sexuality and things like that. And I helped write some of the curriculum for that. But I remember writing it and, and I'm like, I'm teaching something that I'm not comfortable with by myself yet. And so I was like, wait, before I can really intuitively write something that I'm going to want to inspire people, let me check in with myself and let me shed some things because I'm not comfortable even talking about this right now. It's just crazy. And so I was still shaming myself about being queer and liking women. So that was a journey for me. And then once I got to writing the curriculum, it was more like, yes, I do believe this. Like mentally, I believe this, but my heart, my body sometimes are still very discomfort about it, you know? And so I remember got through that. But when I got to NYU, NYU had so many queer spaces and I didn't, I never was in a room with openly queer, gay, lesbian, trans, plus people, you know? I never experienced that. And I remember NYU had, it was the first week I was there, they had a queer POC group. It was like a welcome event. I was like, wait, there's people of color who are queer? Oh man, I gotta go to this. But I remember walking in there, even I walked in there feeling so much shame and nervousness and judgment. And 
I walked in there with all my baggage. My whole luggage was in my backpack, <laughs> you know? And I just remember um, talking. I sat to next to this woman. She was a black woman. She, um, she was around my age. And we got to talking. I asked her about her story, um, how she journeyed to be queer and things like that. And I just started going to more of those spaces. They had retreats and weekend retreats. And I was like, oh, all I need to do is uh, to be around people where I can feel included and inclusive and represented. And I'm, this is the world I live in, you know? And I remember I left that day and I called my sister. I was like, I'm queer. <laughs> she was like, what does that mean? I was like, okay, let me tell you. <laughs> and it was the first time I identified as a queer, gay, lesbian woman, you know, all in its entirety. And I was like, I felt so proud to be like, yes, the world, it's me. Like, I remember walking around, like, I bought, <laughs> it was with, I think it was you. We, I had a jean jacket and you had a jacket. You had buttons. And I was like, oh, Karen, where are your buttons from? And you were like, oh, I got them at the Strand. Mm-hmm. And I went there, I got the, like the black fist button. And then I got like the black queer button or whatever. It's like queer right here. And I started wearing it. I was like, I'm queer. Like, I'm not labeling myself. I'm identifying mm-hmm. with myself. And that was the first time, that was in 2017 that I decided that I want to live fully out loud with being queer and being a sexual queer woman. (laughs) Amazing. So amazing. Love that story. I love that you talk about the dissonance or the disconnect sometimes between what you know you should feel, like you know as an adult, as a sexual being, that you should not be ashamed, but it's so deeply ingrained in you that sometimes there is that disconnect. And I think that really highlights how hard it actually is to overcome shame that has been seeded in you for so many years and so many decades and how you really have to constantly be working at it yeah. because it's it's part of our dna at this point and so to change that is is just a lifelong journey for all of us yeah yeah that's a, such a great point i think there's like a continuous shedding of those wrong programs because they're wrong i i think it helps people to know that that is wrong information that we're taught as a fear-based information we're taught and there's no way that we should or shouldn't have sex as long as we're feeling good and we feel safe you know and i i definitely didn't get that growing up but um i'm glad to be in spaces where i can let that go and continue to let that go absolutely and i think that it's funny how everyone's journey is so different but also so similar you know so different in that each of us are are different people we're our own humans we come from our own spaces and places but we're fed so much of the same propaganda about sex that I feel like there's a lot of similarities, um, even though we all come from such different walks of life in figuring out how we can individually and collectively shed all of the negative information that we received, all the shame that's been heaped upon us. Man, the shame is so real. So real. So real. I remember <laughs> I remember countless times of sexual abuse reproductive health that I in the last couple of years would come to you. <laughs> I think you have been like my sexual Planned Parenthood professional. <laughs> I'm like, Carol, what does this mean? <laughs> but even just having friends who are very educated in sexual health, it's so good to be able to comfortably come to you and other, pla- and other people and places that we feel there's no shame attached to it. And then you also, which I love about you and like other health professionals that you remind us that there's no shame. And sometimes professionals forget to say it's okay and there's no shame around this and everyone experiences this those three phrases are everything and I remember you always told me that when I would come to you and I even planned period we would say the same things I'm like these are places I want to continue to go to for information because I don't want to feel when I leave that I have to carry something else with me you know 
Yeah. Well, honored to listen to your sexual related questions and issues literally for the rest of time. So always come. (laughs) Um, Also, one thing that I love to backtrack again is that the person that shook you out of your own stupor was literally you. Like you were teaching stuff and you were like, Stephanie, you don't even believe this. How can you be teaching us? Like, get it together, Stephanie. (laughs) Stephanie to Stephanie was having like an internal like dialogue and you've got it together in the name of Stephanie. (laughs) Oh man. I love that. I love that. I know it was like the spiritual part and then the like the physical part were like meeting like, Hey, Hey, how you doing? Okay. So we don't want this. Okay. We don't want to either. So how are we going to get rid of this? Okay. Let's, let's have a meeting. (laughs) Let's have a meeting. All Stephanie's gathered and clearly it worked because you have come out the other side. Super, super amazing. And we love you for it. Okay. So we've touched a little bit um, on what you could wish you could unlearn. So I don't think we need to talk about that anymore, but I want to end on a high note. And I'd love to know if you could engineer it all yourself. What do you wish that your sex ed journey could have looked like? Man, I wish they taught us all the various ways you can have sex for pleasure. And I wish they taught us all the different um, sexual identities and genders and how they can have sex and have pleasure. I remember just wondering that. But we were never taught that. And I would love to have known how did two women have sex, all the different ways we can have sex. I wish they would have taught us um, how to stay safe with all the different partners that we have, whether the different um, gender identities, sexual identities. And I wish they would have gave us the resources for those as well. And I would have loved that. And there was none of that. And the resources you would get would go, go to your school nurse. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what is, uh, you know, Nurse Maria going to tell me? I don't know. Nothing. That's why. She's going to put a Band-Aid on it. And she's not going to have any condoms. <laughs> so. <laughs> Poor Nurse Maria was, like, getting sent all of these kids. And she was like, I can't, I can't do this myself. Yeah, I, I would love to learn that. I would love to be inclusive, comprehensive, and representative. And I would love to have left with the feeling of being inspired that I can enjoy and stay safe what's so wild about those three things, you know, like how to have sex and experience pleasure, right? How to keep myself safe and where can I go to learn more about these things are fundamental aspects of any type of health education. And yet they're revolutionary because they don't exist here in so many places. It's like, they're the simplest things. It's like, we can do this. We can give our young people this information. We are choosing not to. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice from Steph. Okay, I think we're wrapping up. Steph, do you have any final words, thoughts? I would tell my 13-year-old self, you know, it was a really tough time for me. But anybody who's 13, who was feeling the same way I feel and you're 13 maybe, <laughs> live your life fully out loud. And it's okay to color outside the lines and you're not supposed to fit in. You're not supposed to. <laughs> and it's okay to not fit in. I think we're all individuals and we all have a special gift and a purpose in this lifetime. So Shining your light as bright as you can is the ultimate purpose. So shine, shine bright and live fully. (laughs) Oh, amazing words as ever from Steph. Um, Thank you so much for being the very first ever guest of this podcast. I love you. We love you. And um, we cannot wait to hear more from you in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. In my words, a direct health professional. That's what you are to me. And a very, very good friend. I love you so much. Love it. Love you, Steffi. Uh, Stay safe and happy sexing. Happy sexing. 
find the show on Instagram at Sex Ed Rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me. Bye.